Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fresh Take from the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Dr. Christine Coe. You may know Christine as the co-host of the Edit Your Life podcast. Christine is a music and brain scientist turned multimedia creative. She was awarded a fellowship from the National Institutes of Health to fund her doctorate research, and she did her postdoctoral fellowships at places like Harvard and MIT. She's pretty smart. Christine creates content to help people live better happier, and with elevated purpose and intention. She's the founder of Boston Mamas. She's the co-author of Minimalist Parenting. Christine lives in the Boston area with her husband, Jonathan, and daughters, Laurel and Violet. Welcome, Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, ladies. How are you? I am so delighted to chat with you. I mean, we're going to get heavy, but it's going to be good. When we were thinking about having Christine on the podcast, we sort of were narrowing down, like, what should we talk about? And we came up with this concept of building a family after adverse childhood experiences. This is something that we've had a lot of people reach out to us on our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash whatfreshhellcast. And this idea of how do we build a family if we have not come from a family that modeled the kind of family that we're trying to build. And so Christine Co has written about this subject and lived about this subject, and she's going to talk to us about it today. Christine, tell us a little bit about your own story. Yeah, well, let me just say first that I am so amazed and happy. I don't know if that's the right word, but I am happy that the conversations are happening in your community. I mean, I think it's something so many people are wrestling with. And, you know, I'll say personally that so I grew up in the Boston area, family of immigrants, one of seven kids, not a lot of money, it was very stressful. And there were a lot of other things going on a lot of chaos. And yeah, it was really, really hard. And, you know, my siblings and I just slogged through it. <laughs> but it wasn't until two years ago, at age 45, which is crazy to me, that I actually learned that there was a name for what I experienced, you know, adverse childhood experiences. I was working on a project in partnership with the CDC, Injury Center, and the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I remember sitting in this briefing meeting learning about ACEs and just being like, oh, <laughs> there's research about this. You know, the formally speaking, you know, there are different types of adversities that have been quantified, things like, you know, physical, sexual or emotional abuse, domestic violence, living in a home with mental illness or substance abuse, 
incarceration of a household member. And through this work, I realized that I had experienced five out of seven of these adversities. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> I learned this term from you. I hadn't heard it before, but it was kind of one of those ding moments of like, oh, right, that's a quantifiable, that's a thing we can name. It's adverse childhood experiences. And someone has put together a list. I have the list here. It's from the CDC put together the list of what the adverse childhood experiences are. There's 10 questions on a questionnaire that you can take. And I'll put the link in the show notes. So if this speaks to you at all, you can get the questionnaire and take it. But the types of experiences that the CDC says are categorized in this are emotional or physical neglect, verbal humiliation, growing up with a mentally ill or addicted family member. Incarceration isn't on this list, but I think it is, you know, more generally because the last category is parental abandonment through divorce, through loss, and I suppose through incarceration, just in the absence of a parent. Yeah, that is one of the little tricky things about ACEs is that depending on your source material, there some of the numbers are there. How it's quantified is a little bit different. But you know, in a nutshell, you know, it breaks down to really stressful stuff during childhood. And a lot of people suffer that. And many people like me, you know, don't even know <laughs> that it has a name. So I was actually really and even so that was a little mind boggling to discover that so late in life. You know, it also left me with this question that was you know, answer during this briefing session I was in outside of Chicago, you know, that there are ways to turn that ship around. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear about sort of how I grew up and what my circumstances were, they're sort of like, how did you manage to be such a functioning human being? Ultimately, it boils down to the fact that, you know, the technical lingo for it is SSNRs, which is, you know, that's very researchy. <laughs> it basically boils down to safe, stable, nurturing environments, like people, like, you know, people all the time, whether it's sex ed or whatever else, talk about the importance of trusted adults. And that's what it, it really boils down to. You're saying for you in your life, it boiled down to you may have had a chaotic home life, but you were able to find safe, nurturing adults outside of that environment. Yeah, but here's the thing. And I can send you the link that, you know, which is the post that I think you read and are referencing. But what I realized through this process is one, you know, there were all these people, you know, throughout, you know, secondary education and then also college who stepped in to support me and I wasn't asking for help. I was not an ask for help person. I have never been an ask for help person. They just noticed and they supported. And even when I was not doing that great, you know, metrics wise, like, you know, I have an English teacher from high school who, you know, I was a, this is the other thing people don't believe because of all my degrees now, but I was a terrible student in middle and high school, like solid C's, sometime D's, except in music. <laughs> and were you struggling or indifferent? I think it was just there was so much chaos and I could not. I think part of it was, you know, brain development. I just wasn't like the way things were presented in high school just did not compute for me. And I remember thinking, I wish I could understand this. But then I also was dealing with a lot of chaos and there wasn't a lot of space for, you know, learning and growth. And it wasn't until I left home and went to college where I sort of had the space to sort of be my own person, sort of get out from the stressors, you know, those stressors and really thrive. I mean, that's what happened. But, you know, so anyway, I had this high school teacher who even though I was, you know, struggling my way through to just get a C in humanities or whatever, this woman, Lucy Myers, I write about her in my post, she was like, you are a smart person. It kind of makes me teary just thinking about her. You know, she was also the 
advisor for the student paper, and I worked on the student paper. And so she was always supportive. And to this day, we are in touch, which is crazy, right? We still exchange holiday letters. Back back in the days of seeing people, you know, we would get together for lunch once a year. So it was the people who stepped in like that, and a ton of music educators, I got to say, and, you know, said, you know, there is something, you know, you have value, like, that just goes a long way for kids. So they perceived you as needing the support, which you clearly did. Do you think at that age, you perceived yourself as needing support? Were you thinking, oh, thank God, somebody's throwing me this life raft? Or were you sort of like, why do they always want to talk to me after school? I don't understand. I'm just a kid doing my kid thing. No, I don't think I perceived needing support because that was just what life was. Like, I didn't know anything different. I never accessed school support services, I never would have thought to. And I mean, I do remember a social worker from, you know, my childhood coming, you know, over at one point. And that just, to me, I just thought, you know, oh, that's just happening. It didn't even occur to me. So and it wasn't these teachers, these music educators, I was just seeing them in sort of everyday life, they weren't sort of doing anything crazy or going out of bounds or making more contact than normal. But I think they were just, they saw something, you know, they just supported me sort of along the way for regular contact. And it just, you know, it's crazy, the simple act of being seen, like how important that is for a kid and also to be told, you know, if you're really self critical of yourself, as I was at that time, just because I hung out with smart kids, but I wasn't as smart as them or wasn't making the grades on paper, you know, to tell them that's not the only thing that establishes your value, you know, that was really important. And I think it's interesting that probably, I think this is true, let me know if you think if you agree that even people who had very chaotic childhoods, hopefully people can look to that framework of safe nurturing adult, that hopefully most kids had somewhere in their lives that provided that safe nurturing adult. And does that become your building block for moving forward as you start to think about becoming an adult? Like what role do you look back and see those safe nurturing adults having had in your development? You know, I think that they gave me access to, and of course, I didn't have the words for this back then. I didn't have the words for it till two years ago, right? Right. (laughs) I think the key is that these safe, you know, stable nurturing relationships, they help you cope with what's called toxic stress. And the toxic stress is really like, I remember learning about it from a pediatrician at AAP. And, you know, he was saying there's kind of like, you have kids who have a really stable childhood and then kids who don't. And then there's this sort of like, for a while, there was this sort of black box in the middle about like what helps determine whether a kid like me, you know, thrives or tanks. And it is, you need something to cope with that toxic stress. And for me in particular, the real stress lever and the thing to cope with that was sort of joy through being reasonably successful at music and, you know, having something I was actually good at. Like, I definitely wasn't good at school, but I was good at music. So I think that's why, not surprisingly, all these music educators were such a big part of that story because, you know, they were supporting me all, you know, along the way and encouraging me. And so I think that was the big thing. So, you know, whatever environment it is, you just need somebody and something to focus on that actually, it sounds in our current, you know, sort of condo language of, you know, finding something that brings you joy, like literally, you actually need something that brings you that sense of fulfillment and joy in order to kind of cope with that stress. And that's huge. If you have a kid who can find that, and you're an adult, and you can help a kid tap into that, that's the gold right there. Even probably for parents who 
you know, have a more functional household, that that's still for kids who are stressed on any level. Finding that outlet that brings them joy is super useful. It's huge. Yeah. And it's important to say it might not be the same as yours. It might not be something you understand. And like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that your child's joy might be different from your own, you're saying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like my nine-year-old has is super tech savvy and is into this game called Roblox. I don't know if your kids are into it, but Lord. Um, <laughs> <We're> familiar. <laughs> oh, yes. Unfortunately, I know way too much about Roblox. But creating two little tutorial videos, that brings her joy. And I don't understand it. And I only dive into it enough to make sure all the online safety stuff is happening. But I won't get in the way of that because that is a survival thing through this, <laughs> through what we're going through right now. <laughs> I want to dive back in a little bit more into the sort of science behind this ACEs concept. And we're going to do that right after we come back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby's skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. You know, Christine, what's so amazing about this ACEs research, which has exploded in just the last couple of years, is that we're understanding that if you had an ACEs childhood, which means you had adverse childhood experiences, it can actually harm your brain as it's developing. And people who had ACEs childhoods are 390% more likely to have chronic pulmonary disease. They're 460% more likely to have depression, cancer, and other chronic conditions decades after the trauma I guess because of the toxic stress. 
Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things, this early adversity, this is really common. (laughs) So I think that's really hard. However, you know, the other thing is that, yes, there are biological implications to what's happening. You know, I think that it's probably beyond the scope of what we can talk about and what I'm prepared to talk about. But, you know, ACEs will change, you know, the way your genes work and the way your brain forms and functions in a not good way, especially if, you know, those ACEs are severe and long lasting and lead to that toxic stress we were talking about before the break, you know, that sort of overactivation of a kid's stress response system. I mean, that just wears you down. It wears down the body. It wears down the brain over time. Yeah. I think it's important to say, like, we're not pointing this out to be like, hey, you had a horrible childhood. And guess what? Also more chance of cancer. Like, it's not to just say like, hey, this is to say what people are realizing. And it's, I think, very useful knowledge is that adverse childhood experiences, I think that, you know, in our generation, my parents certainly were kind of taught like, let's not whine about the past. Let's move on to Mm. like who we're supposed to be. And what we're saying with this, what we're dialing into this research about is not like, yeah, it stinks to be you. It's that this is real. This had a real serious effect on your body and mind. And so now what? And so it's not about dwelling on like, oh, this is so terrible. And, you know, I don't want anyone to leave with the feeling of like, oh, well, I guess everything's ruined. But it is the thing of like, let's really dig into what our childhoods were like, because it's going to affect our actual lives. Absolutely. And that, I mean, the good news is I know, you know, we've been talking about like really not great numbers, but the good news is that, you know, early adversity, it's not destiny. Yeah. You know, we were just talking earlier about how, you know, if you can carve out those levers to, you know, mitigate toxic stress. If you can find those trusted adults, like that can turn stuff around. I mean, that is really, really important. So, I mean, that is the good thing. And I even think that, I mean, certainly I'm very pro therapy, obviously, but there are things that you can do, you know, even, you know, maybe you didn't have all of the sort of, when I look at this list of people who sort of stepped in gently, you know, to support me without me asking, I feel sort of humbled and overwhelmed by that, you know, that what a gift, you know, but if you didn't have that same level of support, I feel like there is certainly work that you can do as an adult to sort of try to, you know, unwind some of that stuff and work on it even, you know, even later in life. I really do believe that. What does that look like? Is that therapy? Is that? I mean, I think it's the similar... I mean, and I don't know how, you know, the CDC and AAP would respond to this, but I really feel like those threads of what are important to us as kids are important to us as adults. I mean, think about all the conversations we're having right now about how important it is to lean into your relationships. I talk about this all the time, whether it's on Edit Your Life or elsewhere, you know, how important it is to find things that you care about that make you feel good. You know, that's basically, you know, all of us right now are experiencing enormous amounts of stress due to this like long pandemic that never seems to be ending, you know, plus, you know, national chaos leaning into the little things that can sort of take your mind to a different place to give you a release from some of that stress even briefly. I mean, so important just for everyday mental health. So I think that a lot of the threads are actually very similar. Can I ask you, I loved this when I saw this on your Instagram recently, you talked about the difference between protective care and restorative care. This was a great concept for me. I'm big into this right now. So I'll give one example that Christine gave on Instagram, then I want you to talk a little bit about the difference. So protective care in relationships would be letting go of the toxic relationships in your life. 
but restorative care is actually focusing your energy on loving relationships, sort of chasing the joy. Yeah. So can you tell us about the difference and how we can do these things? Yeah. Well, so I came up with this term because, or this phrase, because the shorter, more economical term is self-care, right? And people talk all the time about self-care. Right. And then sometimes people roll their eyes about it because they think it's all manis and massages and we can't even do that right now. And <laughs> We're in the backlash to self-care phase of the self-care conversation. <laughs> yes, for sure. But I think what I was really thinking about a lot when I shared that post was that, you know, our care for ourselves, it really requires two things. And I hate to make, you know, life seem harder, but the protective stuff is really, I mean, both things require intention and, you know, thinking and action. But I feel like the protective stuff is working on, you know, putting up some boundaries around yourself. You know, you Amy, you mentioned the toxic relationships. And that can be, I mean, it's hard to like just say, okay, I'm going to let go of my toxic relationships. But, you know, a more concrete way that could play out is, you know, perhaps muting or unfollowing people that make you angry or just, you know, putting up a little bit of boundary, you know, maybe not responding to all your or picking up the phone when so a triggering person calls you, that kind of thing. So that work needs to happen. And I feel like it needs to happen in tandem with the restorative stuff, you know, like the quick text to friends you love, the GIF thread, you know, things like that. In order, I feel like those two things kind of need to happen in concert for sort of your restoration and like your betterment of yourself to really stick. Let's talk a little bit about if your own journey and this idea that we kind of started with of starting a family after having a childhood that involved adverse experiences. And I know the kind of feedback that we get are people having this feeling of, I feel like I'm out in the middle of nowhere. You know, I don't know how to be a good parent because I didn't, I see my friends and they say, oh, my mom would always say this or, you know, and Amy and I both came from those kind of childhoods. But, you know, in generations back in my family, there are people who did not come from those kind of childhoods. And some of them have successfully, you know, built families. Some of them have struggled more. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to just know your thoughts on that. What are the differentials there? What are the techniques? What are the helpers there for people who find themselves like, I am building a house with zero blueprints? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the very first step (laughs) is to just try to give yourself a little grace and space. I mean, there, when you don't have a blueprint, it is really, you're probably relying mostly on a list of things that you don't want to do. Right. (laughs) Like, I remember when I became a parent, I was like, okay, number one thing, don't get angry. Don't get angry. Don't be upset. Don't cause chaos. And I mean, that has taken years of therapy for me to unwind and understand that anger isn't always bad. I mean, getting angry, showing emotion, drawing attention to yourself, those are very dangerous things for me growing up. And so it basically emotionally stunted me as a human being. And now I'm the kind of adult who actually has a children's emotion chart in my (laughs) office so I can point to my feelings and try to work on figuring out what I'm feeling. (laughs) That's where we're at now. I think that's interesting, though, that you're not afraid to say, I had a friend who had modeled a lot before college and basically was starving herself for several years to stay at like 100 pounds and whatever her 510 frame, you know, because that's what she needed to do to work. And she got to college 
And she had to go see the nutritionist. She had forgotten how to mm-hmm. eat food. And the nutritionist had to give her, like, the picture of the plate that has, like, the clock signs, you know. And it's like, put some vegetables here. Put a, you know, put a protein here. And she was laughing, like, I'm basically a two-year-old, like, with my food plate. I know. And it's like, whatever it takes. Sometimes you have to go way back to brass tacks. You really do have to go way back. So, you know, that was one thing I wanted to not do. I mean, and then the flip side of trying to build a blueprint based on the sort of negative negatives was also trying not to overcompensate, right? So I grew up, you know, we were basically, you know, seven kids, not a lot of money. It was really hard. You know, we never had, I don't think I had a stuffed animal until I was like five. And it was because I got my tonsils out, you know, it was like, I mean, there just was not a lot to go around. And so I found actually that one of my biggest challenges when I became a parent was trying not to overcompensate and, you know, push my own childhood desires on my kid. And, you know, I should also say I was the kid who wanted to sign up for everything, but could sign up for nothing. So I remember trying to, you know, put all these things in front of my older daughter. And she was like, No, mm -mm, no, I don't want it. And it was very confusing and sometimes angering for me. (laughs) And I was kind of like, you know, I didn't say this out loud. But what I was saying in my head was like, don't you understand? You're, Mm. you know, you're lucky. You should feel grateful for all these things. No, she shouldn't. Like she has no idea. So I think it's kind of two sides of the situation is, you know, one, trying to figure out a more positive baseline and the kind of family that you want to build and also understand that you may have a plan, but, you know, your kids are going to be very different people with very different interests. So, you know, you have to allow for flexibility and letting people figure out, you know, what their thing is too. It can't just all be about you, sadly. (laughs) Right. You can't be the football coach dad who's like, you will be quarterback because I didn't make the team. Exactly. Yeah. What about receiving love as an adult? We had Ned Hallowell on our show last week who has written Driven from Distraction and all the books about ADHD. And he had, Mm. he talks in this new book, ADHD 2.0, that he had an ACEs score of eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he's like, you know, like, there's no way I should have grown up to be, you know, have written 20 books and, uh, you know, happy marriage and three wonderful children. And, but I did it. And the way to do it is that you have to save your own life by learning to take in love rather than push it away. Yeah. I thought that was beautifully said because, yes, if you are getting a message that you're not worthy of love or that protection means, you know, hiding from intimacy, then how do you sort of recreate that as an adult? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it's probably, you know, and I will say, so here's the funny thing is that my growing up, even though it was hard, there were still like I at some big baseline level, like, you know, I knew my parents loved me. Or I kind of had that sense that that was the framework of what should be happening. And certainly my mom was really the anchor through all of that storm. And it's probably not surprising that my first sort of serious relationship in life ended up being like this tremendously emotionally abusive three year, you know, ridiculous circus. So I think there, you know, as we are seeking, I think that it's kind of an ongoing process. I mean, I think that the ability to feel like you're worthy of love is also connected to your ability to feel like you can ask for things or that you, yeah, it's connected to so many things. So I think that it requires working on trust, which is also really hard. (laughs) And it also requires you to really try to continue to nurture relationships that you, I'm thinking friendships in this case, where you do feel that sort of unconditional 
trust and love. And, you know, I've definitely broken some relationships in the past because I could not figure that out at that particular time in life. But that is one of the greatest gifts I feel right now. And I still sometimes have to remind myself, okay, it is okay to be my full, like, messy, broken self in front of this person. And those relationships are really, you know, the gold that is getting me through right now. Hmm. I think that rebuilding factor is so interesting. We're going to talk more about that when we come right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health, and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L U M E N dot M E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So... Before the break, Christine, you were talking to us about, you know, building new relationships. And I think for, and as always, when we have conversations with people about things, what strikes me overall is what, no matter how niche the thing we're talking about, no matter how far away it might feel from my life, any given issue, it resonates with everybody. Like everybody has this problem of mm. trusting themselves to accept love. Everyone has this so many moms have this problem of like allowing themselves to be vulnerable and ask for help. It's something that all of us can work on. Mm -hmm. And I think one of those things is like this idea of trusting relationships. And I think for a lot of people listening, rebuilding does look a lot like finding a new family sometimes. Mm -hmm. Even people with difficult childhoods are still sometimes in contact with their families, sometimes in contact with the healthier members of their families, whatever it may happen to be. But talk a little bit about like found families and building new networks. And also you talked a little bit before about cutting some of that involves boundaries with some people who maybe brought some trauma earlier in your life. Yeah. I mean, it is really hard work. And, mm -hmm. you know, I will say that especially when you have a family as large as the immediate family that I grew up with, like, it's probably statistically impossible for everybody to get along great. You know, I have one brother, 
with whom we are just 100% estranged. I haven't talked to him in years. And that really makes me sad. And I know that I have tried and tried again. So I think, you know, one of the best lessons I learned from my therapist was that, you know, we, you, anyone, can't control what other people do. You know, we can only control how we react, how we navigate a situation. And the best we can do is try to show up in the best possible way there. So I think that's part of it is figuring out, okay, you know, is there something I can do in this relationship? You know, what is the most satisfying thing that I can do to try to heal or move forward or whatever? But I think, you know, in terms of relationship build, you know, I don't know if you guys know Laura Tremaine or if you've talked to her, but I had a fascinating conversation with her where on Edit Your Life, and she has a book coming out called Share Your Stuff. And, you know, it was just such a fascinating conversation because she really, I love the way she frames how important it is to open up in order to strengthen those relationships. And, you know, I think for us, like, you know, the three of us on this podcast right now, we think of sharing as a very public thing. But her point was really like, it doesn't have to be public. It can be just one-on-one and that women really struggle to share, you know, their selves with one another because we feel like we don't want to dump or we don't want to be the drama friend or whatever that narrative is. Or we feel sometimes that what we're going to share is too ugly, like it's not right. Yeah, if you're somebody who has experienced a lot of hardship, you know, I certainly felt this like, ooh, I should I not tell this to people because then they're going to think I'm like really damaged goods and run away. And in the instances where that happened, like you don't want those. Those aren't the people who are going to be on your team. You know, the people who are going to be on your team are the people who are going to hear that and be like, wow, I'm sorry, that sucks. I love you, you know? So, I mean, that's learning too. But, you know, so I think that there, we have to work as adults, you know, on embracing a little vulnerability and exercising a little trust, knowing that, you know, if somebody does reject you for sort of sharing and being vulnerable with them, you know, that's telling and then, you know, you have to move on and try to trust in the next, you know, relationship. Does that include talking to your kids, keeping ages and stages in mind? I'm just curious. Does that include talking to your kids about your own history? I think it does. Again, I'm glad you said ages and stages. It's very important. You know, my kids do know, I actually have, because of what I have dealt with in life, it's been really important to me to not try to make everything rosy. It's been important for me to show them when I'm having a bad day and to be honest about it, because that's part of like the resilience building thing, right? You know, you kids need to see you struggle with something. They need to see you come back up again. They need to see you angry and then they need to see you work it out so they know that they shouldn't be afraid of anger. That was a huge part of the journey for me. Because anger, as I mentioned, was really scary and you didn't show it and it meant something bad was going to happen. So yes, I think that generally speaking, this whole modern parenting narrative of like, oh, you know, let's protect our kids from all the hard things is really like you're doing a disservice to your kids. They need to know that you can deal with tough stuff and come back from it and learn something from it. And I think that idea, Amy and I both come from Irish Catholic families and in broad strokes, the idea was like, we pack bad things away and stuff them in the back of the closet, (laughs) never to be heard from again. I'm familiar. Yes. That is how we roll. (laughs) And I think it is a balance, right? You don't want to 
unpack that bag and just dump it all over your kid's head. That's not fair to them. They're not, you know, ages and stages, even older kids, they may not be ready for, you know, all the information about your inner life. I mean, I definitely remember being pretty late into my 20s before I thought to myself, like, oh, my mother thinks about something other than me. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I think your child's worldview is very child centric. But finding that balance between being able to say, we are emotionally truthful, we but we don't kind of unpack the bottom of the bags and throw it at each other. Yeah, because, you know, and I know this from my sex ed work, too, (laughs) is that, you know, kids, they're going to tune you out too (laughs) at some point. So I think it is really, you know, just looking for those natural connection points. Like I wouldn't bring up, certainly wouldn't bring up my sort of emotionally abusive relationship with my nine-year-old because it's just not relevant. But with my teen, you know, if she is navigating a new relationship, then yes, I would just, and the message, really the top line message would be and has been, you deserve to be treated well by whoever you're going to be in a relationship with. And I, you know, I've said to both my girls, like, you know, one of the things I really want for you guys is to just find someone who loves you and cares about you and thinks about you like as lovingly as your dad does for me. Like, so there are just like general, really not stressful messages, top line messages that really just dial back to value and, you know, valuing yourself as a human and knowing that you deserve good things. Like those are just really basic things that are important to communicate to our kids. And I think there's a foundational piece of the ACEs study that is that taking the ACEs kind of survey and that it makes it okay to talk about what happens. Mm -hmm. The founder says, right, it removes the power that secrecy so often has to just own what happened to you. Yeah. I mean, that was the big thing that... So when I wrote that post, I mean... I felt very passionate about it. But you know, like how it is on the internet, you write something or you produce something and you're not sure how it's going to land. And I was shocked by the response to that post and all of the, you know, both private and public messages of people sort of learning that either there was a connection to their lives that they hadn't understood, realizing that it was time for them to step up as an adult and, you know, try to look for those natural intersections where they could be a a trusted adult or keep their eyes out for somebody in their neighborhood or whatever. I mean, that's like, you know, what you dream of or what I dream of is just finding a way to communicate a message that will help people sort of open their awareness and their hearts a little bit. So yeah, I mean, I think shame is such a driver for so many things. And this is not a topic to be shameful about when you are a kid you know, experiencing things at the hands of other people, there are other cast members, you know, involved. And so it's not something you should shoulder all by yourself. I want to end on sort of a note of hope, because you have built this incredibly successful life, you have a wonderful spouse, wonderful children, just tons of success, you rebooted your own life. And I just want the person listening who might be at an earlier point in her journey to feel like, that is possible. Can you tell us just a little bit about how you made this happen for yourself? Wow, that's a big question. question, But (laughs) I mean, I think that, you know, part of it was really, gosh, I hadn't really thought of it until this moment. So thanks, Amy. But I think maybe that's part of why I left academia. You know, like, I remember being on the precipice of like the big dream that I had had, you know, I literally had just, you know, finished my very fancy postdoc, I was looking into faculty jobs. And I was like, I'm good at this, but this is not bringing me joy or filling me up on a daily basis. And so, you know, leaving 
the field so that I could create things on my own terms and be in charge. I am a little bit bossy, you know, and <laughs> autonomous. I like that was really important to me to have creativity and autonomy at my fingertips. And so maybe, hmm, maybe that was my like, okay, let's, you know, really lean into, you know, the joy and the things that I really care about and get excited about, you know, as a way to sort of navigate life. And then I think the other thing has really been, and this is my, you know, rally cry to to everybody right now, like whether or not you have experienced ACEs, is to really find, identify that support squad, you know, both for the moments, you know, where you're happy and also the moments you need, you feel like you're going to lose it. And that would be like all of us right now. You know, I think parent stress is just such a huge factor when it comes to ACEs. Certainly that's where I find the grace in thinking about my growing up and what my parents were dealing with as, you know, immigrants in this country constantly, you know, being targeted racially, all manner of things, you know, like this is the time that, you know, you have to build your trusting relationships and your network in order to get through what we're going through right now. Awesome. We like bossy ladies on this podcast. So <laughs> perfect. We like to head towards the phrase solved it on our podcast, but I don't think we're going to solve this one, Christine, but you definitely gave us lots of great insights. And I want everyone to come check you out wherever you are just to revel in. I mean, we could do really 45 minutes on like Christine's amazing life, but tell us where to find you and where people can check you out. I guess the easiest place to find me and all the projects I do is at christineco.com. And I find that like people really, really want to chat with me on Instagram for some reason. I don't know what it is about that platform, but I'm Dr. Christine Co. there. Awesome. Thanks so much for this conversation. I'm going to put a link to the ACEs questionnaire in the show notes for this episode, as well as a terrific article from Psychology Today that talks about the ways to recover from an ACEs childhood. And of course, a link to Christine Cove. Thanks for talking to us today, Christine. This was awesome. Thanks, Christine. Thanks. This was such a pleasure. Everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.